0: the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. That might be the most energetic my voice will be for the remainder of this podcast. Yes, I am going to do my best to try to get through. Big thank you. Huge thank you. The biggest of all thank yous to Mrs. Nolan for filling in for me last week. I hope you guys thought that was fun. Nice little uh, change of pace on the Bruce exclusive and the plan is still for Nate and I to do food for thought this week so we will see how that goes I very well may need to pause this recording a couple times to cough a little bit yes that's right I've been sick but I'm back now and what a great time for me to be back right what a great time because everything's going wonderfully in Buffalo Bills mafia land But we've got some things to talk about. We've got narratives to talk about. And I want to start with Josh Allen. I want to start with the idea that expectations minus reality equals disappointment. But you knew that already. But specifically, the people who are most crushed or most disappointed or most deflective this week are the people who came into this year saying Josh Allen is clearly the best quarterback in the NFL. When Josh Allen makes a ridiculous play because of his aggression, then we say he's like Brett Favre. But when he makes a head-scratching play with his aggression, then we say it's coaching. Because there's only three ways you can process and reconcile the idea that Josh Allen's clearly the best quarterback in the NFL with the type of play we've seen from him over the last three weeks. The first thing you can do. Is deny it. You can say. Ah oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. The second thing you can do. Is you can deflect it. Which is what a lot of people do. Now the deflection starts to come. To Ken Dorsey. Well Josh Allen's still the best quarterback in the league. Clearly. He might not have been playing like it. None of the metrics would support that. But. He's still the best quarterback in the NFL. And it's Dorsey's fault. Mind you. These are some of the exact same people who said it was Dable's fault last year when Josh Allen had a middle-of-the-year slump. And the third thing you can do to reconcile those two things is you can just accept that Josh Allen's in a funk right now and he's not playing like the best quarterback in the NFL. But this isn't all that different than what we saw last year. He had a slump in the middle of 2021. And a lot of people blame that on Dable too. And we're going to get into coaching. We're going to get into legitimate criticisms of the offensive coaching staff. But the recency bias that was left with us after the unbelievable performances that Josh Allen had in back-to-back playoff games made us somehow forget that in 2021, Josh Allen was a good quarterback. He still played well. But at that time, we were busy deflecting it due to weather. Oh, well, you know, it's the weather. It was completely different. It's the reason why he didn't have as good of a game as all the other teams. Let's not do this. Let's not live in a world where we have to be in denial or deflection. Let's just accept the fact that he's not playing as well as we would hope. And that's okay. And I'm going to go right from that statement into a statement defending him. Josh Allen gets up faces the media after the game, I need to play better. And people's response to that is, I'm tired of hearing him say he had to play better. What else exactly did you expect him to say? Well, I mean, I I want him to play better. I want him to play better too. I was the one saying he wasn't the best quarterback in the NFL and gotten lambasted for it in the offseason. But because I didn't hold him to something I created in my head, I am now less upset now when he plays like a high-variance gunslinger because he's always had these high-variance moments. Even elite versions of Josh Allen have high-variance moments. He can't be Brett Favre when it's awesome and not Brett Favre when it's terrible. As far as gunslinger mentalities go, strictly on-field stuff. But because I didn't hold him to, you need to be the best quarterback in the NFL week in, week out, every single time. I'm now finding myself in a space where I defend him and go, yes, he's not playing well. And that's okay. This is part of the deal with Josh Allen. The variance in the middle of the season, it happened before. I have every confidence he'll play better moving forward. 100% confidence. I've seen him. I have a huge amount of sample size of Josh Allen having a slump and doing better because that's what normal quarterbacks have slumps. Patrick Mahomes had a significant stretch in the middle of last year where the question was, has the NFL figured out Patrick Mahomes? No is the answer. They haven't. And they haven't figured out Josh Allen either. He's just not playing as well as we would hope right now. There doesn't have to be anything bigger than that. It can just be he's not playing as well as we'd hoped and he probably will play better moving forward. Specifically, when it comes to turning the ball over. But we don't want to do that. We want to deflect. We want to say it's coaching. It's coaching because we don't want to admit that maybe Josh Allen's not the best quarterback in the NFL because we built him up like that the entire offseason. But if you didn't build him up like that the entire offseason, then you don't feel the need to deflect away from it. He's still a really good quarterback. He's playing like a really good quarterback. Really good quarterbacks have moments like this. But we want to deflect to coaching coaching isn't why the bills couldn't execute a quarterback center exchange coaching isn't why the bills didn't knock down a pass on fourth down coaching isn't why Allen threw a game-ending interception when he had singletary open on check down and there wasn't even a window that was any significance to throw the ball into coaching isn't why Diggs dropped a pass on third and 15 that hit him in the chest Coaching isn't why Dawson Knox dropped a pass in the end zone that hit him in the stomach. While we're at it, I don't have a problem with Naheem Hines not being featured at this point. You can use the comparison to Jeff Wilson going to the Dolphins if you'd like. But Jeff Wilson was going from a system he knew to the exact same system he already knew. Kadarius Toney in Kansas City had screens and design plays drawn up for him. Well, why doesn't not Hines have those plays drawn up for him? He did! Defense just took him away. Well, what about Christian McCaffrey and the 49ers? Christian McCaffrey was absolutely going to play regardless. They were throwing him in there. Why? Because they invested a crap ton to get him, and they weren't going to waste a single minute of it. The Bills, on the other hand, gave up a sixth-round pick and a running back who was previously inactive. So I don't think the sense of urgency is quite the same for them to get Naheem Hines on the field. And that's okay for right now. So I'm not going to bang the table for significant coaching criticisms on those points. However, coaching is the reason that the Bills started Cam Lewis over Dean Marlowe. We all talked about Jaquan Johnson last week and how, I mean, you're at your fourth string safety, but you acquire Dean Marlowe. The excuses that you have with Naheem Hines do not align with Dean Marlowe. Dean Marlowe knows the system like the back of his hand. There isn't a defensive system in the NFL that Dean Marlowe knows better than Sean McDermott's. He can teach it to other people. So you had him available and he played a snap and he was active. But you chose to start Cam Lewis, the converted cornerback who just became a safety a little bit ago. That I can criticize the coaching for and I will. Well, Bruce, maybe there's missing context. Okay, maybe there is. But I don't need to have 100% of the context to avoid criticizing coaches. This is the same conversation when it comes to trade deadline. When I talk about the trade deadline, I say, I have to know that a trade could have been executed in order for me to criticize the team for not executing it. If Bob Smith gets traded for a fifth-round pick, I can reasonably assume that a fifth-round pick would have secured a trade for Bob Smith if the Bills would have done it. Could there potentially be a scenario where that team would have refused to trade Bob Smith to the Bills for a fifth, but would have traded him to a different team for the fifth? Sure. But I can't get 100%, but I can get most of the way there. So could there be a factor That would explain Dean Marlowe not playing over Cam Lewis. Sure. But with the information I have at my disposal, I'm comfortable looking at the coaching going, why did you do that? I think it's a completely fair criticism. Coaching is the reason that the Buffalo Bills didn't run more play action. If you have a quarterback who's struggling with interceptions, why are you not trying to pry the window more open for him? The Bills are not running play action at a high clip this year. And not specifically in the last couple of games since Josh Allen's been struggling. Play action is not just a crutch for below average quarterbacks to look reasonable. That's not all it is. It's also the ability of good quarterbacks to look better. Aaron Rodgers rejuvenated his career with a heavy play action attack that was utilized by Matt LaFleur. It's not just about a crutch for bad quarterbacks. But it's a boon for good quarterbacks too. So coaching is the reason for that. Coaching is the reason that the Buffalo Bills had 12 on the field for a crucial Dalvin Cook stop, even though they didn't get called for it. They made a stop. They had 12 on the field. That's coaching. I don't like the Dawson Knox screen call in the red zone. Well, Bruce, you can catch him in a blitz. Except this is Ed Donatel defense. This is Vic Fangio. Too high Vic Fangio stuff. You never have more eyes in the backfield than you do then, and they're closer to you because you're in the red zone. There are more eyes in the backfield to any potential screen. I don't love that play call in the red zone because in order for it to work, they have to do something like run blitz, that they don't do often. So the probabilities are low. Don't like the play call. All of these things are coaching things. Starting Cam Lewis over Dean Marlowe. Not running more play action. Having 12 of the field, being disorganized. Play calling. All of this stuff is coaching and all of it's legitimate. So don't misinterpret the first part of this podcast as coaches are blameless Because that's never true. Coaches are never blameless. Players are never blameless. But it's important to apply the right criticism to the right person. Speaking of right person, let's talk about Leslie Frazier. I went back and I watched the sequence of plays that led to the 4th and 18. Leslie Frazier was in his bag. Quarters, cover three, Tampa two, cover two, two man mixing and matching all the different coverages. He was throwing everything he had to try and create confusion for Kirk Cousins to give his depleted secondary an opportunity to make some plays. And the opportunity was there. Cam Lewis was there to make a play. He didn't make it. That's one of the great litmus tests for play calling. Was there a play to be made? If there was a play to be made, then I have a hard time criticizing the play caller for that particular call. If there wasn't a play to be made or if it could be reasonably expected that there wouldn't be a play to be made, as was the case that I just outlined with the Dawson Knox screen, then yeah, let's criticize the play caller. But we're doing this thing where we blame all failures in execution on leaders. I don't know if any of you have ever led teams before. I have. And I'm sure a lot of you have. But one of the bruceisms that I've historically always told the people who worked with me was if you do what I tell you to do and it goes bad, it's my fault. If you don't do what I tell you to do and it goes bad, it's your fault. All you can do is try and put your people in position. If they're in the right position and they don't make a play, it's on them. If your play call didn't put them in the right position, then it's your fault. You hear this talk about all the time. We hear it talk, but because it's so cliche, it just goes over our heads. When a player is praising a coach, they say, man, he he really puts us in good position to make plays. That's the line. But we hear it so much, it doesn't land on us anymore. When a coach is critical of themselves, their response is, I got to put my people in position to make plays. I gotta put him in better position to make plays. Because that's what a coach does. They put him in the right position as often as humanly possible. We are gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come back. We got a lot more to talk about. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I wrote a piece for buffalorumblings.com. And I specifically talked about the absence of three all pros in the secondary for the Buffalo Bills. I mentioned earlier that Leslie Frazier was trying to put his, quote, depleted secondary, end quote, in position to make plays. And I want to talk a little bit about this. Because it feels like the 2022 version of the Buffalo Bills defense is giving up a lot of third and fourth downs. Where your opponent has to gain what you would otherwise consider to be a difficult amount of yards. If you feel that anecdotally, it's not just you. Sometimes the anecdotal evidence doesn't stand up when presented with cold, hard, uncaring metrics. We say, oh, what about the eye test? One of the things I hear all the time when I use metrics is how arrogant it can be to have these metrics. And I would say, no, the eye test is more arrogant Assuming that you can eyeball it is far more arrogant than using a third-party metric that doesn't particularly care. Eye tests are important, but they're not less arrogant than metric use. But in this case, they line up. In 2021, the Bills were second in the NFL in defensive DVOA on third and fourth down and long. Negative 74.9%. As a reminder, negative is good for a defense when discussing DVOA. In 2022, as of the time of this podcast, the Bills are 28th in the NFL in third down and long defense at plus 57.5. That's bad. And it's a big swing. And the thing that I want to talk about is I want to talk about difference makers, Because if I were to come to you and I were to say, do you think Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, and Tredavious White are difference makers? The overwhelming majority of you would say, yeah, I would agree with that. So here's my question. Why then would anyone be surprised when their absence makes as much of a difference in the negative that their presence does in the positive? I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't have someone make a difference in their presence and not make a difference in their absence. Think about anybody in your life. Just step away from football, for example. Let's talk about Mrs. Nolan. Mrs. Nolan is a difference maker. When she is in my life, when I come home and I get to see Mrs. Nolan, that's a difference maker. When she leaves and goes out of town for the weekend, is she no longer a difference maker? Is my life completely identical in her absence to the way it was in her presence? Of course not. Of course not, because if they are difference makers by their presence, then they are difference makers by their absence. Both of these things have to be true. Because they can't make a difference when they're there and then not have their absence be felt. Three all-pro-level players in the secondary are gone. Tredavious White... Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde. When we have historically talked about the average distance of target against the Buffalo Bills defense being incredibly low and the success rate of teams throwing deep against the Buffalo Bills being incredibly low, we deemed this a Micah Hyde stat. Micah Hyde is not here. Did you think it was going to be the same? Do you think it was completely identical whether they were there Or not. If that's the case, they're not really difference makers. And we shouldn't be branding them as such, but we do. What we do is we brand them as difference makers when they're here. And then when they're gone, we expect it to be identical and it's not going to be. The fact that it's just as good as it is, is impressive. The Buffalo Bills defense currently ranks number one in the NFL in defensive DVOA, negative 16.9. They're fifth against the pass and sixth against the run. That is only slightly off of the previous year's defensive DVOA, which was negative 18. The fact that the team can lose players who would undoubtedly be described as difference makers with only a slight hiccup to overall production should be something we're impressed by, not something we're railing against. Again, not saying Coaching doesn't have any criticisms because they do. And I mentioned a lot of them and they're going to show up in my plurality pie for Bill's Vikings. But some perspective is in order. This isn't the time for me to dunk on people when it comes to pass rush versus coverage. But the Bill's defense added meaningful pieces up front and lost meaningful pieces in the back. And the defense is slightly worse than it was last year. The fact that it's even in the same zip code is impressive. But we can't say these players are awesome and elite at their position and the defense should also be exactly the same when they're not in. You cannot have it that way. Are they difference makers or are they not? While we're on the coaching topic, I have absolutely no problem with going for it on fourth and two there. No problem. Late in the game, possessions are key. Kicking the field goal makes it remain two possessions. Getting a touchdown makes it three. So Tremaine Edmonds missed the second half. Are we ready to admit that he's not terrible now? I have never been a Tremaine Edmonds stan on this podcast, but he's in the middle of a very good year. A very good year. A lot of that because of the additions that the Buffalo Bills made up front. Specifically, Daquan Jones. But Jermaine Edmonds, the drop-off is noticeable between him and the next man up at the linebacker position. Plurality pie, let's do it. For the Buffalo Bills' loss to the Minnesota Vikings. Josh Allen, biggest piece of plurality pie. Stop turning the ball over, 28%. Ken Dorsey, 15%. Already talked about, you got to help your guy out. You got to help him out. Sean McDermott, 12%. The bleeding in, too, on the offensive play calling and the abandonment of the run. Ken Dorsey and Sean McDermott both have a little piece of that. Cam Lewis, 7%. Three meaningful plays. Not knocking the ball down. Bad angle on the Dalvin Cook touchdown. And missing a tackle. In the backfield on a Minnesota Vikings touchdown as well. Isaiah McKenzie, 7%. Back-to-back, bad plays from Isaiah McKenzie. The Buffalo Bills were driving. And Josh Allen, the play before his red zone interception. Isaiah McKenzie's follow concept was way too close to Gabe Davis and draw the coverage in. The next play, he runs out of bounds, which you absolutely cannot do, and then didn't chase down the tackler. So if I have three plays for Cam Lewis, giving him 7%, I got two plays for Isaiah McKenzie, giving him 7%. Other 31%. So Josh Allen, 28%. Ken Dorsey, 15%. Sean McDermott, 12%. Cam Lewis, 7%. Isaiah McKenzie, 7%. Other 31%, ladies and gentlemen. We've got plurality pie. Let's go to the emails. Tim says, good evening, Bruce. I hope you and Mrs. Nolan are doing well. I want to start off by saying to all of your listeners to go back and revisit your episode about taking Buffalo Bills losses too seriously. Yes, this one is an absolute gut punch, but there's a boatload to be upset about. However, tomorrow is still going to be here and the world's still turning. My stomach is in serious knots over this game, but listening to your previous episode has made me a much calmer Bills fanatic. Josh Allen will receive a ton of plurality pie this week for his heroism and stupidity. My concern is he seems like 2019 Josh Allen attempting to win every game by himself. I wonder what your thoughts are. The season's a roller coaster and the ride is far from over. Me and the missus are on our way to get pho, a good, clean, filling comfort food to choke down a difficult game. The Bills Mafia. The world will continue to turn. Josh Allen will do something incredible and we'll forget all about the loss. Thank you for your time and happy Thanksgiving, Tim. I've done a lot of pods that I'm proud of. I think the one that has probably gotten the best feedback was the one I did that released on October 21st, 2021, where I talked about sports fandom and specifically it's supposed to be a hobby. And I had some, some comments that really spoke to my heart there that I wanted to, to share. And I was really happy with the way that it resonated with Bill's Mafia. If you feel so inclined, you can go back and listen to that episode also after a loss. And I hope that you were able to get some enjoyment out of it the way that so many others have. And I'm really proud of the product and I'm happy that it was able to resonate with so many people. In regards to Josh Allen, I don't think this is 2019 Josh Allen. I think this is 2021 Josh Allen, where he had a slump in the middle of the season. And I think if we don't look back at 2021 as only being the unbelievably spectacular playoff games, then we won't view this as harshly. And I mentioned that early in the pod. If you look at this as the slump, and a slump that Josh Allen, every quarterback will inevitably go through, every quarterback who's not the absolute best of the best of all time, then you're going to be okay with this. And you're not happy. You're not thrilled. You don't just go, yay, Josh Allen's doing amazing when he's not. But you just accept it as a data point. There's a difference between an actionable data point and a non-actionable data point. A non-actionable data point is the sky is blue. An actionable data point is my house is on fire. Both of them are data points, but only one of them requires you to do anything. The other one's just a data point out in the ether. And so for me, Josh Allen going through a slump, even though it's three games and three games is a trend, we know this. Even though that's the case, Josh Allen not playing overly well is not an actionable data point for me. I don't think we need to make changes at the quarterback position. I've mentioned some of the coaching stuff. I think Ken Dorsey should not abandon the run, mix it up a little bit. I think he should run more play action, specifically hard play action, to get those intermediate routes going. I think Josh Allen can kind of get his footwork and rhythm a lot at that point. So I think all these things should be things that Ken Dorsey does. But it's not an overly actionable data point. I'm not freaking out about it. I'd be freaking out if my house is on fire. If I walk outside and I look up and I go, hey, the sky is blue, it's just a data point. I don't do anything about it. It's just a data point. Chris sent me a DM and said, I want to put a spin on the narrative that maybe people aren't talking about. Josh Allen and the Bills offense has been known throughout the past few years as more of a backyard style passing offense. To quote Diggs when he talks about Josh, he said, hey, just get open, I'll throw you the ball. Given Josh's previous strengths of improvisation but current trend of turnovers, do you think Dorsey should hold a degree of responsibility for not adapting. To take some of the burden off Josh, could or should Dorsey evolve his offensive scheme to give Josh easier decision-making opportunities? Or is Josh just stubbornly ignoring the easy throws? I don't know if it's comparing apples to oranges, but it appears the two is thriving in Miami due to a combination of better performance and elite scheme, which makes easier decision-making. So I think it's both. Number one, I do think that Ken Dorsey should enable some easier binaries. I'd love to see him get out on the run a little bit. I'd love to see some bootleg action from Josh Allen, give him some high-low concepts on the move. Because when you have a high-low concept and it's Josh Allen, it's actually three options, because running is an extremely viable option at that point. Love to see some of that. But also, Josh Allen's just not taking him, too. It's both. Josh Allen is not taking... Look at the Josh Allen film from week one and compare it to the Josh Allen film against the Vikings. Josh Allen was getting the ball out fast against the Rams. And you might say, oh, it's because of Aaron Donald. And it probably was because of Aaron Donald. But that doesn't mean you can't have that approach against teams that don't have an all-world defensive tackle. You can still do that. There's nobody stopping you from running an offense that gets the ball out of his hands with quick binaries, even when the opposing team does not have a game wrecker in all world, all everything, all universe defensive tackle. You can still do that. It's okay. There's no laws against it. James sent me an email and says, Bruce, I appreciate that you tend to take a more level headed approach to dips and performance that the Bills are currently going through. Sunday was tough for a few reasons for me. First was the amount of turnovers and the other poor decisions that helped the Vikings. The also was the what if with Justin Justin Jefferson going beast mode on the Bills defensive backfield. I rarely buy into the logic that a mid-season coaching change is the right move for an NFL team, especially when you have a situation the Bills are in currently. I just hope that the defense gets healthier, Josh cleans up the turnover, and Dorsey gets a little bit better. If they stop beating themselves, they'll get back to being the team that it's hard for any of the other 31 teams to beat. I agree with you. I do. I think stop turning the ball over. Get healthy. I don't think it has to be a drastic stuff. People think that drastic turns are the way to go. And usually it's tweaks. It's tiny little tweaks. Usually some good circumstances versus bad circumstances. Trevor says, I have a question. More so than a take. Are our recent issues more of a result of us turning the ball over than any actual issues with the team? Sure. Sure. Losses may look us, make us look at everything under a microscope, but given the injury situations, I've been pleased with the performances from the vast majority of the team. This was brought up by Joe Marino of Locked On Bills, and I think I agree with it. If almost anything would have given us a win, we would probably start with the turnover problem. It may be an oversimplification, but I'm not willing to be down on this team yet. We're still elite. Take care, Bruce. Trevor, I agree with you. I really do. By the way, I love the picture of your pup Benny. Thank you for sending that to me. I love dogs. Dogs are amazing. Dogs are a miracle. I think that the older I get, the more people I interact with, the more I love dogs. So, I agree with you. I think the Bills turning over the ball at a tremendous rate is a huge deal. And no, I do not think punts are turnovers. The reason I don't think punts are turnovers is because turnovers can happen in the red zone and take points off the board. Punts don't happen in the red zone and take points off the board. In addition, punts have a tendency to net you much, much, much better field position than turnovers do. So I understand the concept where people say punts are turnovers, but the situation surrounding it and the effect of it, turnovers are like super punts when you consider it that way. Turnovers, you're losing possession and you're probably not gaining as much field position and you could potentially be taking points off the board. So yeah, I think turnovers is a big part of it. Evan, sent me an almighty take, said, this is going to be a wild one. It's a two-parter, and it might crash and burn. Part one. Weather forecasts forces the NFL to move the game to Detroit, so the Bills play back-to-back games in Michigan for the first time ever. Part two. At your suggestion, I try to follow other teams' beat reporters. Cleveland media has been saying this week that the Browns have, quote, checked out. This is a get-right game, just what the Bills need. Josh continues to Brett Favre, but only throws two picks to his four touchdowns. The defense helps him out four turnovers of their own, to help limit the toxic differential. twenty-eight seventeen, but the Bills rest and recover in the mitten state while waiting for Thanksgiving at noon. So, this is actually one of the most reasonable almighty takes you ever had, I think, Evan. 28-17, two interceptions from Josh Allen. I appreciate the fact that the ridiculousness gets turned down when the team is not playing as well. Well, guys, we did it. Ladies and gentlemen, we did the thing. I think you can hear my voice starting to fail, so I'm going to hang it up now. And if you didn't really dig this new gravelly Bruce, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.